This is The Ticket. We demand our liberty. But this election is not just about what laws we're going to pass. Americans have come back from some pretty tough economic times. We need to stop limiting kids in poor neighborhoods. I declare to you today as a candidate for president of the United States. I'm Ben Philpott. And I'm Jay Root. We're back with episode two of The Ticket, a weekly review of the 2016 presidential election from KUT News and the Texas Tribune. So uh, what's been going on in the news this week on the campaign trail? Uh, We've had, uh, well, candidates running all over the country, but uh, I think the most interesting thing to me was the actually the presidential or the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, there in Washington, uh, which is filled with lots of jokes. And, uh, you know, I was most interested in maybe how the president was laying out some jokes uh, for the 2016 race. And I've decided I need an anger translator. <laughs> and here is the first joke we're going to play. Uh, this is the anger translator explaining uh, what Barack Obama really means when, he, when he's talking. Protecting our democracy is more important than ever. For example, the Supreme Court ruled that the donor who gave Ted Cruz $6 million was just exercising free speech. Yeah, it's the kind of speech like this. I just wasted $6 million. The president's enjoyed going to Ted Cruz for laughs over the last couple of these. You know, he had the one, uh, I guess it was last year, on how he signed a bill with Senator Cruz, and he had a picture of the bill signing and then a picture of hell freezing over. Well, I, I love how the, the president really cracks up when he's telling these jokes. He can't even get through them. That's how funny he thinks they are. Well, and yeah, and here's another, here, you know, not to pile on Cruz, but here's his second Cruz joke where he has that issue. Ted Cruz said that denying the existence of climate change made, <laughs> made him like Galileo. <laughs> now, that's not really an apt comparison. Galileo believed the Earth revolves around the sun. Ted Cruz believes the Earth revolves around Ted Cruz. And I think probably some bipartisan chuckles there from the uh, from the crowd because uh, you know as we know and has been reported multiple times, uh, the Republican senators don't necessarily love Ted Cruz either. Yeah, they're having a, a pretty good uh, time at the expense of our senator. I think. <laughs> The president did also make jokes uh, about Hillary Clinton, uh, talked about one year. She, he has a friend who used to make millions of dollars, and now she's living out of a van in Iowa, which, which of course, is what Hillary's doing as she's kicking off her campaign. Uh, and then he had one final joke about uh, the Koch brothers and the billion dollars that they're trying to give away, comparing that to uh, the Republican candidates as, as an episode of The Bachelor. Well, you know, when you see how much they're courting these billionaires, it's it's uh, not a the comparison maybe not too far off. Right, unfortunately. Well, it was nice to just have a little break, a little moment of levity uh, before we get into the real uh, serious nature, unfortunately, of the or fortunately of the presidential campaign. Yeah, humor can be kind of rare in politics, so it's good at least once a year we get it with the White House Correspondents' Dinner. It's time again for Stump Interrupted. Uh, this will be the semi-regular segment that we have here on the ticket. We're going to take a few key moments from some different campaign speeches and go over them uh, and try to get to some of the deeper meanings behind what the candidates are saying. We started last week with Ted Cruz's presidential announcement speech at Liberty University. This week, it's the second major candidate to announce, Rand Paul. And uh, let's just jump right into it. Here's our first clip from Paul. As I watch our once great economy collapse under mounting spending and debt, I think, what kind of America will our grandchildren see? It seems to me that both parties and the entire political system are to blame. Yeah. Yeah. 
Big government and debt doubled under a Republican administration. And it's now tripling under Barack Obama's watch. You know, Rand Paul is at his most believable and convincing when he goes after both parties. There's a feeling, particularly among Tea Party people and grassroots conservatives, that they're being sold out by their own Republican office holders. Um, you know, in this bite that we played, he reminds us, Rand Paul reminds us of the reasons why George W. Bush was so unpopular after leaving office and why so many in the Tea Party still sort of have it out for him. Rand Paul really appeals to people uh, who feel like the deck is stacked against them. And I think it's really interesting, too. This is, I mean, we're not going to hear, I don't know that there's a Republican candidate, uh, major Republican candidate in the field who is saying, uh, elect me because of the great track record of recent Republicans. I mean, almost every single one, of course, Ted Cruz went after, you know, we heard him go after the idea of, you know, Republicans making lots of mistakes. And that's why you need to elect a true conservative like him. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much, uh, you know, as much as they will attack Democrats and, you know, the expected nominee Hillary Clinton, it'll be interesting to see how much they continue to attack Republicans mm -hmm. as well. More than $2 trillion in American profit currently sits overseas. In my vision for America, new highways and bridges will be built across the country, not by raising your taxes, but by lowering the tax to bring this American profit home. Now, I thought this was interesting, not because it's a new idea. Uh, you know, this is something that we even heard uh, Governor Perry talking about when he was running for president last time around. Uh, and it's something that Congress has been wrestling with recently, uh, as you've seen lots of large American companies like Burger King and some ph pharmaceutical companies, you know, they've merged with companies from other countries, which means they no longer have to pay federal tax. Um, but what I really thought about was that was interesting about this was it's a presidential campaign. You have to provide promises that are more than just, um, you know, bringing the country back to whatever, you know, this kind of grand painted picture. There are going to be some people that want to hear, you know, what are you going to do for me beyond that? And uh, the Republican candidates are not going to do it by saying they're also going to raise taxes. So I just think this was interesting, an idea they were, he was laying out something tangible that he wants to do, you know, invest in American infrastructure and also saying, here's how I'm going to pay for it. Well, it's really different, too, because normally it's like we, we don't need any more money. We've got plenty of money. This is basically saying, you know, we could use a little of this money that's sitting overseas. We've got a lot of needs here. That's not what you typically would hear from, say, Ted Cruz or Rick Perry. You know, they're, they're more cut their pay and send them home, and then, you know, we've got plenty of money as it is. Under the watch of both parties, the poor seem to get poorer and the rich get richer. Trillion-dollar government stimulus packages have only widened the income gap. Politically connected cronies get taxpayer dollars by the hundreds of millions, and poor families across America continue to suffer. I have a different vision, an ambitious vision, a vision that will offer opportunity to all Americans, especially those who've been left behind. Politically connected cronies. You know, Rand Paul, more than any other candidate, and somewhat like his father, I think, has figured out how to bend the political spectrum. You know, what's good for conservatives in some cases is also red meat for liberals or independents. And we see this in, in this discussion about corporate welfare, crony capitalism in which he really is taking on the political class, the establishment, basically. But, you know, in, not in a mean-spirited way, really, but basically tapping into the feeling that people have that 
Um, the government is teamed up against the little guy, and, and he exploits this by promising to sort of stick up for Joe Sixpack when no one else will. So now uh, we move to the last segment here on Stump Interrupted. Uh, we're going to pull a couple of clips. One will show uh, why we think he could win the nomination, and then another one to show uh, that he, he cannot win the nomination. Uh, here, first up, uh, one reason why we think he can win the nomination. Warrantless searches of America's phones and computer records are un-American and a threat to our civil liberties. I say that your phone records are yours. I say the phone records of law-abiding citizens are none of their damn business. This is where he's at his sort of most muscular in, in his rhetoric. Um, and you know he used these kind of lines in his uh, Senate race, his Kentucky Senate race that he won. And he said then, he, he reminded us of this uh, in the beginning of his speech, Washington invades every nook and cranny of our lives. That's what he said when he ran for the Senate, and he repeated that line uh, in his presidential announcement. And in this formula, he sort of pulls in the libertarians that his father attracted and then and tries to expand out from there. And the Leave Us Alone crowd is particularly worried about Big Brother, and Paul is, I think, pretty effective when he beats this drum. And, you know, you could say, I mean, that's even a, a cross-party lines issue, too. Uh, you have more conspiracy theorists who uh, who maybe don't cross all party lines, but then you've got just the idea of day in, day out, you know, who's monitoring my cell phone calls. That Everybody could, could be concerned about that. And the drones that, you know, we've right. been talking about that lately. I think he also appeals to that, that group. That, that was what he led his filibuster over. Right, right. Well, uh, now we're going to move on to uh, an example of why uh, we think he cannot win the Republican primary. Conservatives should not succumb, though, to the notion that a government inept at home will somehow succeed in building nations abroad. I envision an America with a national defense unparalleled, undefeatable, and unencumbered by overseas nation building. You know, a a lot of the people that support Rand Paul think that this is the kind of thing that will actually help him win. I think that it, it could be a big liability, though, because despite the fact that there are a lot of people who are tired of the U.S. being the world's policeman, um, they also are, are really in favor of Israel and, and supporting Israel without any questions asked. And Rand Paul did propose to eliminate billions of dollars uh, in foreign aid he, in, earlier in his career. Um, and he's now backing away from that. But I have a, a very strong feeling that the other Republican candidates are going to be remi- – if he becomes competitive and right. remains competitive – they're going to be knocking him off by saying, you know, you didn't you weren't you didn't stand up for Israel when you could have and you proposed eliminating their budget. And that's where he falls more in line with what his father talked about uh, in his congressional con- career and also when he was running for president. Uh, and speaking of his father, here's just, you know, not to pile on, but here's a little bonus clip of why maybe he can't win. More importantly, I was blessed to be able to do things that made a difference in people's lives. I never could have done any of this, though, without the help of my parents, who are here today. I'd like you to join me and thank my mother and dad. (laughs) 
Now you hear that applause there, and not to get too technical, but you know, I uh, as a radio reporter, I have, have some you know audio software that we use to edit things down, and just taking a look at the unedited, uh, unchanged audio of this of this uh, speech in Kentucky when he was kicking off his presidential campaign, uh, that was the loudest applause in the entire speech when his father stood up and waved at the crowd. I think that he's going to be tied a lot to some of those things, those things, especially the, you know, the anti-hawk uh, uh, stuff that uh, that his father was famous for. And, you know, that is that's something that is going to hurt him as we move forward. That could be the great undoing, because uh, tr- just trying to keep it all together, try to keep the Ron Paul people in your fold at the same time that you're sort of moving away from the positions that made him so attractive. That's that's going to be tough to do. So, next week on Stump Interrupted, since she didn't have an announcement speech, we'll break down Hillary Clinton's announcement video. This is The Ticket. I'm Jay Root. And I'm Ben Philpot. Matthew Dowd has spent time at several different spots along the political spectrum, from working for Democrats in the Texas legislature to leading the efforts to reelect President George W. Bush. Now he finds himself trying to pull the country back away from the edges and towards a middle ground that he hopes will lead to better leadership. The website of his new project, uh, Listen to Us, opens with this question. Frustrated at the political bickering and dysfunction, loss of accountability, and lack of common sense leadership? Big question mark. Matthew, thanks for coming in to talk with us today. Great to be here with you both. So, you know, I just mentioned the opening question on your website. Um, It goes on to provide an answer. The next line is, so are we, in all caps. So what do you want to do about it? Well, this is just my, you know, attempt or my step, seeing that it's you get tired of complaining about the dysfunction and complaining about all of the polarization and complaining about all of the divisiveness. And you look at the landscape out there and where the majority of the country agree on some fundamental issues, but nothing seems to get done on them. You know, whether it's investment in infrastructure or some reasonable gun uh, reform or, or, you know, some accountability of the actual government. All of these are agreed on 70, 80 percent of the folks. But because of the polarization, nothing gets done. So my, it was my attempt to actually begin to gather folks in some way to, for the sort of common sense voices to be heard that are reasonable, that want it to get done, that believe government should actually be doing some good things and doing them well as opposed to bickering. It seems like, you know, this is sort of the worst time to do this in a way. I guess it could be the best time or the worst time, but people have never been more polarized. And I don't really see, you know, do you see any signs that it's abating? Well, I think that's a great question because I think it is the worst of times because it's, as if you look at the expanse of our history, we're as polarized as we've ever been, including in the Civil War. We're as polarized as we've been and divisive as, as we've been since then. But actually, that creates a, a best of time, which is an opportunity, because there is such growing frustration, such a growing sense that's not getting done. And I think people are acting out in different ways of not feeling like their hopes and dreams are getting met. All the things that I think have happened over the course of the last year, some of which have been very bad, Ferguson and now Baltimore, and many different things, in many ways are an acting out of, of unheard voices. And so, which is obviously much of it's done in a way that's not helpful. But I think that there's an increasing sense that the people, and I don't like to say the middle, I like to say that actually the majority, mm-hmm. uh, aren't getting heard anymore. 
So there have been other efforts like uh, Americans Elect uh, that have kind of started. They their idea is the top down. They're going for the presidency. Um, but when you know when Jay and I cover polarization, it is the individual like state legislature, house districts, or uh, you know county commission races. Even I mean that's where kind of the lines are drawn, and you see uh, a packing of these smaller geographic areas with one side or the other. Where where do you want to come into this conversation? Well, I think you've hit on a part of the problem that's been in, in these in these efforts that have been done thus, thus far, whether it's Americans elect, very good intention, even though labels, very good intention, all have been top down. All have been like, okay, we're going to gather 20 important people together and we're going to tell the rest of you what's the right way to do this or here's what we want to do and we're going to lead the population to the right place. And truth is, is in democracies, and even establishment of democracies that we've seen in Iraq, it doesn't work unless it's bottom up. It seems like the biggest problems that you have are, are really structural in a way that it's hard to change by getting involved in a few races. And I'm talking about, in particular, redistricting and fun and the, you know the way we handle uh, our campaign finance i mean with redistricting you've got people who can't talk to each other who are drawn into districts right next to each other and with fundraising now we're just courting billionaires you get one billionaire to bestow his blessing upon you and your gold for you know your presidential campaign how do you get beyond that the impediment of the barriers that the institutional uh, in, uh, processes want to put in place so you can't change are, are there and they're real. But I believe ultimately customers or voters lead people to where they want to go. And, and no matter how much money is on the opposite side, no matter how much structural barriers there are, if the country and if the people finally say enough is enough, we're not going to put up with this anymore, then it will push that forward. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult and it's going to take a length of time. But I also think individuals matter in this. And so who do we, who we get in can stand in that. I fundamentally believe, and I, I worked for George W. Bush, and then I voted for Barack Obama, believed in both of them actually in the, for the same exact reason, which they both said, we're going to change, we're going to bring the country together, we're going to unify things, we're going to get past the polarization. They weren't strong enough to do it. They had great windows of opportunities to do it. Both of them didn't take advantage of the opportunity, mainly because, not because of the structural problem, mainly because they weren't strong enough to stand in that wind and move it forward. I'd like you to talk about uh, the whole gay marriage issue because it seems to me that the ship has really sailed on this issue. And I, I are we witnessing an issue where Republicans are just going to be exposed on this, where, you know, in a way that like they can't, that they're on the wrong side of history on it? Well, I think there's many Republicans that are on the wrong side of history of this. This is this this ship, as you say, has sailed. The vast majority of the country wants this to happen. There's more consensus on this issue than there was on the issue of people marrying that were of different races that the Supreme Court um, intervened in in the 60s. There's way more consensus on this issue than there was then. And so I think Republicans um, have to see that. There is actually a conservative, in my view, there's a conservative argument here that they ought to buy into, which is, is the government ought to not be involved in this, telling who and can and can't get married. If somebody, two people are in love and they want to get married, regardless of who they are, they ought to, they, the government ought to not stop that situation, but for some compelling societal reason, which in this case, it, it doesn't exist. I think that they're going to have to turn on this. The cultural issues, most of the cultural issues have turned on the Republicans. I think some Republicans sense that. They do have 
they do have economic and uh, uh, financial issues related to government spending that I think are on their side. But culturally, the country has turned, as I've, I've said before, and you may know this, I said the problem with the Republican Party today is that they're a madman party in a modern family world. And until they recognize that and turn that we're in a modern family world and if we want to be successful and actually make change, we're going to have to adjust to the new cultural dynamics. Thank you for mentioning the only two shows that I watch and can, <laughs> and can understand what you're talking about. Um, you, but have, have you heard, though, this, this persecution argument, you know, that Christians are being persecuted? Ted Cruz uh, says that a lot. Mike Huckabee's saying it. Um, is that effective or is that just like a primary thing that once you get into a general election environment, like you're done? Well, I think, and I wanted to say this, and I'm glad you brought this up. I think part of the um, misunderstandings exist on both sides. So we talked about the Republicans who don't give a sense of, of where the majority of the country is. And I think in many times on the opposite side of people pushing change and wanting something new, I don't think they understand the roots and the what faith means to some people. And they sometimes could call them, you know, ignorant or they believe in, you know, they don't, they laugh at the fact that they believe in the Bible. And I think, so I think there's, they look past each other. East sides many times looks past each other. And I think there's a sense when you have great change, especially a change like this, that has actually been a tradition, you know, obviously heterosexual marriage has been a tradition for thousands of years uh, in almost every society in the world. It's been a tradition. And to uproot that tradition from people of faith's mind, it is wrenching. And I think that I think in the conversations that we have, we have to understand that I'm a I'm a Catholic and and a devout Catholic, though I don't always agree with the positions of the church on many different things. But I do have it. You do have to have a sense of that faith is a huge part of our country. And when we have change like this, it's going to be hard for people to come along and yelling at them or calling them dumb or calling them ignorant or laughing at them is not going to help. And so I think we'd be much better off with a conversation that was measured and it and seeks to a place of common understanding of where somebody comes from as opposed to name calling. <laughs> this is just this is a great discussion. Uh, I, I'm afraid my next question is going to kind of bring us back down to the reality of the world instead of uh, some of these really good ideas. But uh, oh come on, do we have to go to the reality? Well, come on. You know we are a presidential podcast, so I yes, guess I do have to ask it. you. Um, you know, is there a candidate running in 2016 who you think could best carry the ideals that that you're working on with Listen to Us? Um, I would. The answer to that is there's possibly. A candidate running um, or maybe running, I think this the field is going to expand uh, before it contracts uh, even more. We're going to get other candidates in this race. Possibly, I don't see the, that person today, him or her today on either side. I think there's, there's certain elements that people are saying on both sides that speak to some of this, but I don't think anybody's sort of uh, it's speaking to the vast majority of the country where we want our hopes and our dreams. Could they emerge? Yes. The great thing about presidential contests, if you look back our, at our history, is the process actually allows people to grow. Um, sometimes people fall, but sometimes people really grow. And sometimes people gain a voice that they didn't have at the start of the process. And I am hopeful that as we get more candidates and these candidates um, go through the process, that there'll be somebody that will begin to understand where the country is and be strong enough to speak to it. That process could actually force or allow that to grow um, in it. But right now, today, if I looked at the expanse of the field, I would say there's nobody actually right now that's in that sweet spot that I think where the country wants to go. 
Matthew Dowd is founder of the political social movement group, Listen To Us, which is online at listento.us. Matthew, thanks so much for coming in today. So great to be here. And now, the straight ticket. Remember voicemail? No, I mean really. Do you remember when we actually counted on and relied on voicemail? When telephone recorders, or I guess I should say the trusty old answering machine, became ubiquitous? When that was still a thing? In this day and age, when we're all texting and tweeting and posting to Facebook, it might seem a little anachronistic to even be talking about technology that can be traced back as far as 1898. But a text or an email can't replace the sound of the human voice. It doesn't convey the emotion. Oh, we can throw in emojis or put an exclamation point at the end of a sentence, but we can't hear the excitement or the frustration, the joy, the anger. That's why Ben and I decided that instead of just asking you to send us an email if you hear something you like, or maybe something that you don't like, we'd like to hear from you the old-fashioned way from time to time. We'll still gladly take your emails and tweets, of course. But each week, we'd like to give a little sample of what you thought about our previous show, your comments, your suggestions, whatever, in your own words, and yes, your real voice. Try to keep it short and to the point, and stay classy, folks. All you have to do is call us. The number is 512-943-2016. We'll always mention the number on the show, but if you don't write it down, you can always find it at the ticket webpage at KUT.org and texastribune.org. Got it? That's 512-943-2016. In fact, we already have at least one voicemail that Ben will use in next week's show. If you want to get in touch with us the other ways, it is theticket2016 at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, at theticket2016. The Ticket is a production of KUT News and the Texas Tribune. The show was mixed by me and edited by Matt Largy. Our theme music is by Ben Root. Thanks for listening.